HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at comté-usa.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. everyone and welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host Kara Warren and today on the show we're going to review how tonic water and sparklings can work as a flavor component in your cocktails that can then be paired with your cheeses. Plus what are the differences in tonic water? We sit down live for the first time in Bushwick since the pandemic, crazy I know, to chat with Samantha Kane, a CCP certified cheesemonger and a regional key account manager at Fever Tree USA, uh, also known as her creations on Instagram. Sam, welcome to the show. Hey, Kara. This is like so surreal as a longtime listener to be sitting in this room. It's it's nuts, actually. I mean, we're in real life. I can't, yeah. I can't believe it. I even hugged you when I saw you, and that ah! just felt amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I feel like the timing of a conversation is so much better when it's not virtual. Um, yeah. Amen to that. <laughs> For sure. I uh, Something about like the actual banter that can happen when you're in person versus like just looking at someone's face and like, oh, do I interrupt now? Is this the right moment to break in? No. Okay, good. They're still talking. You can absolutely <laughs> interrupt me because now we have no lag and it's actually going to work. It's awesome. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, so, okay. Uh, we talk, we're talking about fever tree. We're talking about tonics and sparklings. You were in cheese. Now you've moved into specialty beverage. Kind of crazy, but I love it. Um, let's find out, like, can you tell me Going from a cheesemonger that's working now in the specialty beverage industry, how did that happen? Like, how did that segue? I mean, because it's not the usual. No, definitely unusual. So um, I feel like my whole career is a little unusual, but I, that's also sort of the story for everybody, right? It's like no one no one wakes up as a kid and they're like, I'm going to be a cheesemonger. You know, it's like not a thing. So um, I actually started my career in food, in restaurants. Uh, I did a little bit of everything, front and back of the house. And I was a classically trained French chef in Philadelphia. Um, so I was a sous chef places. I, I worked in like some of the best kitchens of their time. Um, I actually got to work under Nick Elmy, who's now a top chef winner from Bravo TV, which is like 
okay. Um, so that was really cool. And uh, how, how long did you study that for? So I was in restaurants from the time that I was about 14 until the ripe age of 23 when everyone obviously has a career change. <laughs> <laughs> so badass. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and uh, I had been farming and doing all these things sort of in conjunction with my time in restaurants, trying to figure out where I really fit into the industry um, because I knew that I didn't want to open up a restaurant. And uh, someone actually came to me who had been working at DeBruno Brothers and they had also come from restaurants and she was one of the only girls that was working in the Italian market to Bruno Brothers location and she was like look they don't normally like bring in girls because it's a small store and it's kind of aggressive and like very South Philly Italian but like you came from restaurants and I know you could do it and we really need someone for Christmas and I was like well I could do a holiday stint in cheese I like cheese I like eating cheese like this will be fun let's give it a try and then February, I'll just leave like everybody else and I'll figure out what my next job is. And then it turns out that cheese was kind of like my all the time. I love you. I want you to be my forever job. Um, I loved the stories. I loved working with a team in that way where you were constantly learning and evolving and um, nothing was ever the same, but in a way that still felt so much more consistent and like less controlled chaos than being in a restaurant. Um, I love being able to be the voice for someone who is making something so beautiful and really just couldn't be their own voice. Um, and I loved the interaction of being able to see the delight in the consumer uh, after you gave them something that you knew was amazing. Because when you're in a kitchen, you sort of miss that moment. Um, and so all of those things kind of led me on this path. And I really credit all of my cheese knowledge to the DeBruno Brothers team. They gave me so many opportunities to learn from great people like you um, and a million others, like literally all across the world. And then obviously Emilio and Hunter just kind of like paving the way for like endless opportunities internally as well. So then I started working um, for the largest family owned specialty food importer. And I was with them for about four years after DeBruno's. And um, I, again, got to meet incredible people. I learned a ton. I was doing so much different kind of like business development work and logistics work and things that I was really interested in learning more about to kind of get the full picture of how do you get cheese to the plate. And then I, you know, honestly got burned out, you know, yeah, like the pandemic yeah. was hard. Yeah. And if I had to talk to one more person about a delayed container, I think I was going to lose it. And, uh, Fair so I just tried to find a place where I could get excited again and be in a space of learning and creativity and enjoyment, genuine enjoyment. And I've always been a consumer of Fever Tree. I mean, they're stocked on my home bar since I can remember, um, before Fever Tree was cool, definitely before Fever Tree was cool. And uh, <laughs> so I, you know, when I started looking for jobs, I just wanted to work for a company that I felt I could align with and to work with a product that I knew that I could authentically and genuinely tell people that I loved and why they should love it too. I mean, shout out to DeBruno Brothers and the importers that had Sam that, you know, <laughs> that's amazing. And now in with Fever Tree, I love it. How long has Fever Tree been around for? Because you it's, you said it's been around a while, but now it's cool. So it, it, is there like, yeah, is so it more than 10 years? No. Yeah. It oh, is. it is. It's like, it's almost 20 years, in fact. They started what? in the early 2000s in the UK. Um, and the UK is still their biggest market. But then the US office didn't open until 2018. And they're right in Midtown Manhattan. Oh, wow. I had, I had no idea. Okay. Yeah. 
So you already answered one of my questions. It originated in the UK. Yes. Um, what's the story a little bit more on like how they came to be? And then like, we'll jump into the next part of this. Yeah, absolutely. So um, basically it was founded by Tim and Charles uh, on the premise that if three quarters of your drink is the mixer, then you should really be mixing with the best. So in the same way that, you know, cheesemakers are curating these incredible wheels that have very few ingredients, but they take tons of time and effort to really cultivate the flavor profile they want and do it in an artisan way to highlight that. There were all these people all over the world that were doing the same thing with spirits. And then by default, it was getting ruined by a soda gun just streaming whatever it was on top of that spirit. Right. And uh, that just felt like such a pity. And so um, Fever Tree was really defined itself in being this, the mixer that can pair with those premium spirits by being a premium mixer itself. So we also go out of our way to source really high quality ingredients from all over the world. Um, we have an incredible R&D team that, you know, again, curates those flavor profiles and aromas to be exactly right. We're working with things that are in peak season. We're working directly with the farmers. And so all of those things lend itself to being able to be that mixer. Um, it's also a really key point about the company today. I mean, as soon as you go on our website, that three quarters of your drink, you know, that's our, that's our slogan. That's it's, our tagline. It's all over everything. <laughs> and I appreciate it. I studied the website and there is a pairing wheel. There's a think about what beverage you're in the mood for. I mean, they really make it handy and easy to drink fever tree. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, it really is about that moment of delight and you shouldn't have to feel stressed or worried that you're going to do it wrong. And, you know, making cocktails at home can be really intimidating, but at the end of the day, if you have a spirit that you really like, whether it's, you know, gin or rum or vodka or whiskey, you know, and you know that you like that, and then you know that you're going to put something on top of it that is already everyone did all the hard work for you all you have to do is pour it in your glass i mean it's meant to be as easy as pie right 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 so i i'm thinking like okay so the difference so you've kind of explained this already but i just want to make sure i get this right the difference uh for fever tree tonic between another tonic is the ingredients and what is like the major like ingredients that would make it like better like with that they're sourcing from another place like what is that yeah so for tonic specifically, I don't think that we can really go on without talking about quinine. You know, yeah, it's yeah. just the, the quintessential ingredient. It almost it, cured COVID, I hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm honestly, it's such a cool story because it's a big piece of how Fever Tree got started um, and why we have our name. So I guess I'll kind of like do that spiel as well. Um, so Fever Tree is actually, um, quinine is a item that comes from the bark of the chinchona tree. And that bark is actually used to cure malaria or to fight malaria. And um, so in India, the tree itself is called the fever tree. And that is thus how our name was born as an ode to such an incredible like heritage story in this place where they grow. Oh my God, I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, and it makes, I feel like this is such a synergy. This is why we're here. Okay. hundred percent. I love that. Um, and so, you know, it's um, basically the quinine is blended with soda water and sugar. And that was like the original tonic, you know, because it's so bitter, you have to like mellow it out. 
And obviously, you know, as time progresses, you find the exact right proportions and, you know, how to sort of marry new flavors into that so that it's not just those three ingredients. You know, we have a whole line of tonics now, and that was so unique to market when they launched. And now there's so many people that are trying to do that exact thing, you know, because they realize that people are interested in having, again, that one solution pour into their beverage. That changes everything. So, um... I was going to ask you like a simple question, but maybe it's not simple. <laughs> um, like what is the difference between tonic water and, and club soda? And is it just that one ingredient that makes it different? It could be right. Like, yeah. So, I mean, definitely that is the main difference for sure. The, the quinine being in the uh, tonic water is like for sure the biggest thing, but then, um, you know, club soda is really just water and then added minerals um, oh. and then the carbonation. So it does have a slightly saltier flavor as well. And that's really purposeful, you know, so that when you're consuming it either, you know, on its own in a soft occasion or, you know, putting it with a spirit, you're getting that saltier flavor, which is one of the biggest reasons why tequila and club, the ranch water is so popular. Oh, cause you know, I'm, I'm a sparkling water girl. I love my seltzer. Absolutely. Um, born and raised Brooklyn, I need seltzer. <laughs> um, but you know, so like having club soda, I was like, what? Okay. Yep. Okay. This is all making sense And then now. the difference between club soda and mineral water then is that the mineral water has all of those minerals already in it and they just add the carbonation. Whereas the club soda, you're sort of going for the same effect and you're adding the minerals in to get the exact flavor profile you want. Oh my God. <laughs> my brain had just blew up from all that awesome information. Okay. Well then I, you know, okay. So I was looking at the line and Fever Tree doesn't all only do tonic. They also do sparklings. Like yeah. what else are they making? There's a lot they're making actually. So I'd be remiss if I didn't start this by saying we're the number one ginger beer in the U.S. by value. <laughs> Excellent. So um, that's huge for us actually. And we're on pace to be the number one tonic by the end of the year also, which is just so rad when you think about like Schweppes and Canada Dry and Q and um, and here we are just like paving the way. And, uh, and I just love that again, being kind of on the cusp of innovation and being working for someone who like literally is the best and the market leader and our awards kind of keep coming both from, you know, drink professionals, but also consumer platforms that are able to kind of choose their favorite. Um, that just feels very exciting. So definitely the ginger beer line is awesome. So we have the traditional premium ginger beer and we actually use three kinds of ginger inside. So it gives like different levels of spiciness throughout the consumption, which I think is so rad. Um, it's like a different kind of heat, honestly, from any other ginger beer that I've had. And I really like that. And I actually most often drink it on its own. I don't often mix it because it's like, it's a really nice like midday pick me up for me. A little bit of lime? Absolutely. Okay. All right. I mean, you know, I know, I know you want to support the product, but I think a little bit of lime. No, um. I'm big on adding citrus to more or less anything that's in my glass. So, uh, yeah. I mean, as you can see, I brought like a variety of citrus with me for when we're mixing and oh, yeah. uh, I think Sh it's fun to play. Shout out to the, to the listeners. Um, the second half of the episode, we're going to be trying uh, a few drinks, uh, and some cheese together, like, and figuring out the pairings and how they go. And, I mean, there's just a lineup here. Sam has some surprises for us. So that's that's a little <laughs> bit of a tease for second half of the episode. Um, I want to run back to ginger beer here. And uh, so I also saw there was a ginger ale. Like, yes. you know, I mean, I'm like ginger beer, ginger ale. Okay, I've had both. But like, 
they seem similar, but like, what is the difference there? What's going on? Yeah. So most, most often, like the way you can really differentiate is that ginger beer is made with the whole ginger root, which is why often at the bottom of the bottle, you see that sediment. And then ginger ale is made with like a ginger extract or like a wort that's made using the ginger. And then like the beverage kind of grows from there. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm going to, I'm, my vote is for ginger beer now. I feel like I like the, anyway, the concept, but I, like, One last ginger beer plug. We are also coming out with a um, blood orange ginger beer that's going to launch in time for Q4. It's going to be in stores in time for Q4. Um, and it's amazing. Um, it's absolutely outrageous. The blood oranges are from Italy and it's our traditional ginger beer recipe and they just marry so lovely together. Oh my goodness. Yeah, very fun. You've as soon as I have some, I'll send them your way. <laughs> Please do. You've stolen my heart. <laughs> I know what I want for Christmas or Hanukkah, guys. Just send it my way. I love it. Um, so th- this kind of leads into my next question is like, how do they research for these flavors? How, how are they working towards this stuff? Yeah, so I mentioned it earlier, and honestly, I cannot give them enough credit. We have such an unbelievable R&D team, both in the UK and in the US. I mean, it's also very collaborative. Like when we had our company conference this year, you know, they asked everyone, if we were going to launch a new flavor, what would what would it be for you? Like, what would be your number one pick? And everyone got to submit, and we had like some nice kind of conversation around that, kind of seeing you know, what might work, what had, like, if someone said something really cool, like, I don't know, strawberry, you know, how many other people in the room would, you know, also vote to have strawberry, that kind of thing. And and that was really cool. But, um, you know, the innovation team, you know, they're nerds, which I just love, (laughs) especially coming from cheese and totally into it. Um, But they're also mixologists, they're innovators, and they're just incredible. So um, they curate all the new formulations based on like trends, availability, seasonality. Um, You know, they also like to push the boundaries. So, you know, they sort of take something that exists or or might be on the cusp of being like very um, forward in consumer trends and then just push it a little further, which I really like. That's very cool. There's also like U.S. and U.K. unique flavors. Which... I was going to ask you, do they keep <laughs> yeah. certain flavors in the U.K.? Yeah, and, and honestly, okay. I'm a little Vice bummed first. about it. Uh, if anyone from Fever Tree is listening, I can really use some passion fruit and lime in my life. <laughs> Hot damn. All right. All right, EU um, folks. Yeah, I mean, they also have things like, uh, you know, like Damson, which is so UK, where you're like, that fruit doesn't even exist here. I don't know what that Um, is. (laughs) I think it's kind of like a plum is how it was sort of described to me, but um, it's really rich in flavor. And uh, there's like jams and things like that made with it also, um, and very popular in the UK. And like they make a sparkling with it in the end, but it stays there because like no one would get it here. Yeah, that, that would be a hard sell. I but think. like rhubarb and raspberry, passion oh. fruit and lime. I think I think New York could be ready for that. I think the U.S. could be ready Especially for that. Especially the seasonal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> why not? Um, all right. Awesome. Well, I want to take a quick break. Hey, everyone, you're listening to Cutting the Curd. I'm here with Samantha Kane of Fever Tree, and we will be right back. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. 
This milk must be transformed into Conté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conté. Conté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conté is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conté is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conté is unique. Learn more about Conté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conté-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E hyphen U-S-A dot com. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Kara Warren. I'm here with Samantha Keene of Fever Tree USA, and we are talking about tonics and sparkling, and now we're about to bust into some cheese and talk about how cheese and tonics and sparkling go together because they're awesome uh, hopefully we got some pairings that will work where we might, we might laugh out loud after a while because maybe we missed it. Maybe we didn't. But, um, Sam, what's the first pairing that we are going to do? Yeah. So the first thing that we're going to taste is actually a cocktail that's made with our elderflower tonic. Okay. Um, but I also used Lillet, uh, St. Germain, which is an elderflower liqueur. And then we're going to do some orange and rosemary in there, too. So I will start getting these in the glasses. Yeah, totally. Pour it up. The part, you know. Um, a big shout out to Roberta's for giving us glasses and ice. Also, we- <laughs> big shout out to Roberta's for stocking fever tree at their bars, because that was awesome. Yeah, I mean, I love that we walked up to it and... And there they were, two gigantic beer tree bottles. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, we didn't even ask them to put it there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was not product placement. We did not pay for them to host beaver tree. I love it. Oh, my goodness. Um, Do you um, get often asked about uh, pairings at the bar, by the way, when you're, like, putting things together as as a rep? Yeah, so it's funny. So in my role as the regional key account manager, I'm actually dealing with mostly retail partners. And so there's a lot less curiosity about how to kind of make the full cocktail solution because in the states, a lot of states in the Northeast, um, including New York and Pennsylvania, which are where a lot of my accounts are, you can't sell um, alcohol and other things, like spirits and other things together. Oh, right, yeah. um, You know, they're not really looking for that entire solution. Although I have found that a lot of people have taken really kindly to the idea of putting some fever tree items like near their cheese department because the customer is really the same customer. You know, if they're looking to buy artisan specialty cheese, they're also going to be picking up other things in the store that are curated with intention. Um, And obviously fever tree is that item. Um, And the same people that are, you know, gutsy enough to mix cocktails at home and willing to play and be creative are often also the ones that are, you know, at the cheese counter talking to the mongers. Right. So that's actually kind of like an easy, and it doesn't have to be refrigerated either. It's shelf stable. Exactly. So that's actually a really cool display cheese shops can put together and cheesemongers can explore. Yep. Is this because it's related to the spirits, but it's not a spirit, so it can be in the store, which I, I mean, you know, thanks Blue Laws for that. But you know, <laughs> oh, thank you, of my dear, course. for an excellent looking drink. I, I wish you guys could see this. It's beautiful. Um, I'll take a picture. She put, she put us um, a sprig of rosemary and an orange with the elderflower liqueur, like we were saying. 
Um, and there's a bunch of other goodness in there. And I am I'm super stoked to try this. It's going to be awesome. Live on air. Um, I just imagine I'm going to smell it right now. Oh, yeah, that's that's citrus. It's refreshing. Um, all right, I'm going to go for a quick sip. Oh, my God. Heaven. I should have been <laughs> drinking this all summer. I know. I feel like we should have really started sooner than this moment. But um, <laughs> well, we had to have a show, Sam. It's true. You're oh, my God. Right. Did you just give me a stirring thing? It's a straw and a spoon connected into one moment. This, I know. I think this is the almost the highest end episode we've ever had <laughs> on Cutting the Curd. Just so, just so y'all know. Um, it's delicious. Oh, yeah. I have a straw now. So this is such a great um, summertime beverage, you know, because it sort of takes in the idea of a spritz because, you know, it's not a heavy spirit like a gin or a vodka. You know, it's a, it's a lighter spirit base. But then also, you know, the elderflower tonic is so delightful in the hot weather because you're getting those floral notes. You're getting like those honey pieces. It's I mean, it's uh, you still get like the bitterness and the richness of a true tonic and the quinine, but you also get. Like, it feels like summer. But it's also not too sweet. Right, absolutely. I, I can't stand drinks that are too sweet, and I think it's really nicely balanced. And like you said, the floral qualities. I could see this being, like, in a perfect pairing, a perfect bite at CMI, you know, like this yeah. kind of style of drink, this kind of elevation. That would be of, so cool of, to see Fever Tree at CMI next year. I'd love that. Shout out to Adam. <laughs> Fever Tree wants to be a sponsor, potentially. Um, okay, so I brought in some brie. Yeah, I'm super excited to try these together because um, I feel like you know, it's so buttery and luscious. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, I thought like the carbonation and like the earthiness of the rosemary would play with that pretty well. Totally. So I, this is from Isigny, plug to Isigny on this Isigny salt mare. Um, it's falling apart, which means it's very ripe and delicious. Yep. It's going to be good. Let's see. Oh gosh, it smells amazing. <laughs> yeah. Super creamy, a little bit salty. No, oh, man. I no. love this brie so much. <laughs> It works well. It's a real break. Oh my God. Not, not a disaster. Yes. So not, good. Not clashing. Saltiness with the floral notes. Yeah. It was actually really great. I also think it brings out more of the orange for me too, when you have the brie and then take the sip. Absolutely. Which it, I really like. It's almost like champagne, but cocktail champagne. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that sort of, it's got, that's really awesome. Um, yes. Great cheesemongers. The next one is yep, better. Is yep, just uh, good. <laughs> yep. I don't want to continue drinking too much. We're still live on air here. Um, okay, great. Well, you know, actually, before we move on to the next pairing, you know, there's a lot of cheesemongers out there or different people within the cheese industry that are, um, you know, always kind of thinking about that next step. And I was curious, like, what advice you might give to them if they're thinking about being like a sales manager or being in like the specialty beverage field, like what advice would you give to them about going that way? Yeah, so um, honestly, working at Fever Tree doesn't feel like such a huge leap out of the cheese world, again, because it is such a high quality premium product. And the consumer, as I mentioned, is the same consumer. And, um, you know, you can talk about a lot of the pieces of it in the same way that I would talk about cheese. Like we are talking about, you know, where we source our ingredients and why that's important. And we are talking about how they're combined to create a specific flavor profile. And um, we are talking about how they play and pair with other things, which is, you know, basically what I was doing behind the counter as well. Um, but now it's just in a glass instead of on a cheese board. So, I mean, for starters, uh, you know, I would also say that we drink a lot, um, which <laughs> also feels a lot like being a cheesemonger, you know? Um, so that's, you know, it just... 
my whole team, they're food people, you know, everyone's cooking at home, everyone's eating out, you know, it's not, it, it's a full experience, like the food and beverage industry, it's not as divided as maybe I thought, um, because I do feel like the kind of conversations I'm having feel like the conversations I was having two years ago and five years ago, but like elevated and, you know, continuing to move forward in the same way that our lives are. Um, but I'd also say, you know, that there doesn't have to be limitations, you know, our skill set, especially being mongers, you know, you really have to be able to do a little bit of everything. You have to be able to pivot on a dime. You have to be flexible in your tone and your personality and, um, you know, let the day sort of run with you, um, instead of trying to, you know, hold everything together. And honestly, um, being a sales manager is almost exactly like that, except that when I, want to actually turn off. And when I want to end the day, I can also do that, which is not always the case when you're, you know, behind the counter or working in a space where, you know, you're one of just a handful of people. So I really like the work-life balance that, you know, being away from the counter provides, but I, you know, being in a space where I still get to be creative, where that's encouraged, um, where it's an entrepreneurial company and, you know, they're encouraging innovation and they're encouraging people to like push boundaries and ask questions and be curious. Um, it makes it really easy to just kind of step into that space too. Well, congratulations on, on being with Fever Tree. I know that was a big win for you Thanks. and um, you're not going to be missed in the cheese scene because you're still doing cheese leaps and you're still participating in a lot of ACS things. So, Absolutely. I um, mean, that's the cool part too, yeah. right? Is that like, you know, um, my cheese family is my family, you know, and uh, the, the people that you want to have in your life, they're going to be there regardless of what your job is or what city you're living in or any of those things. But I think it even runs deeper for cheese because all of us are pretty far apart and we're far apart from the makers, you know, like no one, you know, it's few and far between when you're, you know, best friends with someone and they live a 10 minute walk from you, you know, um, and we all kind of like make time to, to be a part of each other's lives anyway. And I love that. I'm so grateful for that. Um, but yeah, the Cheese Leets is really keeping me connected in too. So I'm the network liaison for the Cheese Leets, um, which is for anyone who doesn't know, it's a nonprofit organization that's run, um, founded by two women. And now there's a board of five members, including myself. And uh, this past year, we always do a 5K at the ACS conference. And during the pandemic, we did it virtually. And this year we had over 126 people sign up for our 5K. Um, so like cheese people and people from all over Portland as well, because that's where the conference was. Um, and we raised over $9,000 to go towards the Back in the Back grant, which is a grant that we founded that's going to send American cheese professionals on in-person cheese learning experiences. So, you know, it can be of their choosing. We do have some partners that we're going to work with, but, you know, they'll submit sort of their idea of what they want to be doing and um, it'll... It'll be sort of awarded in the same way that like the DZT is, which I think is really great. And, you know, it could be making cheese or it could be interning with an importer or it could be working behind a counter for the first time, you know, I right. mean, like the opportunities are kind of endless, which I love. No, that's cool. I mean, it's giving opportunities to um, a new generation or an ex existing person that wants to learn more. Absolutely. Um, so Props to you for being a part of that. Thanks. I love it. I love it's it. It's awesome. I love it too. Um, so we should check out the next drink because there's one more drink and one more pairing. Let's do it. Um, so let me see. I believe it's a sparkling lime yuzu. That, Indeed. That we're going to pair with a Conte. 
So yeah, this is part of the sparkling lime at Fever Tree does. So um, I know I didn't mention too much about it earlier, but yeah, in addition to the tonics and the ginger beer, which is really kind of what we're known for, we have this whole line of sparklings and they're mostly lower calorie options and they're mostly made with fruit sugars as well. So um, they're really good for the consumer that's kind of like aware of what they want to put into their body. They are maybe looking for a lighter option, but the flavor is still absolutely there. So all of our products are only made with natural ingredients. They never have like preservatives or coloring or like additives that are unnecessary. So, um, you know, it's meant to really showcase the flavor of these things. So this actually has Tahitian limes from Mexico and then um, Japanese yuzu, which is like a citrus, but it has this really unique flavor profile that almost marries like every citrus you can think of into one. Um, it's not, you know, super bitter. It's not super sour. It just, it marries them really, really well. And so we blended those two things together to create the Sparkling Lime Yuzu, um, which launched, uh, I believe, about a year ago. Um, and then we also have a Sparkling Pink Grapefruit, which is our number three item in the company right now for the U.S., oh my goodness. which is very cool. Um, anyone who's listening, pick it up at Costco right now. <laughs> it's on sale. Um. <laughs> I, I did the other day uh, in our pre-chat interview. I was like, Sam, did you know Costco sells fever tree? I was like, great, I'm going to have Palomas now. Like, this yeah, is excellent. absolutely. The Paloma <laughs> is necessary right now. Um, this is also a tequila-based beverage, too. So, All right, thank you. I'm going to just shamelessly plug the fact that Fever Tree has a cocktail book um, because I think it's awesome for people that, again, want to be curious but also have, like, a full solution. So they vary in sort of their intensity and number of ingredients, but some of them are as simple as, you know, the spirit, fever tree, and a garnish. And then some of them have, you know, mixed two or three different kinds of spirits and, you know, really kind of build a cocktail base and then fever tree on top, um, which I really think is so interesting. And it's a way to sort of evolve in your consumption of, of your beverages, you know, and play and just have fun with like very low pressure, which totally. I really like. Yeah. And so this is like an adaptation off of the summer breeze cocktail that's in our book. Ah, um, okay. Yeah, so this one has tequila and vermouth. I actually use the lo-fi sweet vermouth because I'm obsessed with it. Um, okay. There's literally always a bottle in my house. I drink it just over ice sometimes. I think it's delightful. Um, it's not super anise-forward, but it has a nice, like, well-rounded herbal note to it. And then um, lime and cucumber garnish, and then the lime yuzu sparkling on top. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so, yeah, on a first smell, I can get the citrus. And there's almost like a hint of like a spice, like you were saying, so. Definitely, that's the vermouth. Mm -hmm. Ooh. It's, it's funny. It reminds me of like, almost like a pop, like a soda, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's really light, which I really appreciate a lot. Um, the carbonation for me also is really important. Like the carbonation of Fever Tree has like smaller bubbles and there's like kind of just enough. They're not... They don't overpower the drink, but they mm -hmm. sort of let all the aromas carry up as you're consuming your beverage, which is like kind of the same thing as what you want for cheese, right? Like you warm it in your hand, you kind of right. are moving it around and you want to get the aromas going first. And the bubbles sort of allow the same thing to happen in your beverage. You mentioned Tahiti, Tahitian before, yes. and I'm like, I'm kind of getting a lot of vanilla notes as well. Yeah, I mean... I wonder if that's like all connected there. I think it's part of the sparkling lime yuzu, but I also think it's part of the vermouth and them mm -hmm. playing off of each other. And um, That's really, really this cool. one I thought would probably go with the Comte that you brought. Yeah, Again, yeah. sort of like those Alpine Meadow vibes, but like, you know, Alpine Meadow in Brooklyn. 
Right, exactly. So <laughs> in Brooklyn, <laughs> so many alpine So you metals. know, tequila. <laughs> yeah, tequila. Here we go. Um, I mean, smelling it, you get the butterscotch notes, and it's it's a 15 month version that I picked up. Yeah, it has like the cooked egg notes. Oh man. I feel like I'm in the holidays a little bit. Like, I feel like we're going towards fall with this one. Yeah, for sure. I agree. This is also like a pretty robust comp day, which I like wasn't totally expecting, but I really am enjoying it. I didn't go baby comp day on you. Yeah. <laughs> this is no, this is no baby Swiss cheese. I love it. Um, um, but I think that this actually highlights the tequila in the beverage. You know, like you get a little bit more of those masculine qualities off the cheese and off of the cocktail. This is a very manly drink. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for being like a spritz, it is. I think. I, yeah. Know. That's the other thing. This is a sparkling, mm -hmm. which is the locale. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, but like, I would never know that. I no. had no idea that was what that was aiming for. I and just I thought mean, sparkling was like another term. It's something that we put on the bottle and something that I know some of our customers are really looking for, but we're not doing it to create a low calorie beverage. We're doing it to create the flavor profile we want. And then by default, it's also a lower calorie option because it just doesn't need as much sugar or it doesn't, you know, it can use a different kind of sugar, you know, it kind of depends, but totally. you know, it's just, um, it's its own beast. Gotcha. So, um, when you're out pitching for fever trait, are there any challenges that you have when you go to places or is it like slam dunk? This is an easy thing to sell. So I'd say most of the time it's pretty easy to sell just because the, like the brand is really well recognized. People know that the product is delicious and they also know that it's going to sell on shelf. I mean, if they were unsure, there's plenty of data that can be pulled to show like the rate of sale and how well it does like in specific areas and across the country. But I'd say the hardest part that I found is actually um, the shelf space size because we are a mixer and we sit on a mixer rack in most retailers. And that's normally just a four foot rack that's at the end of the soda aisle or in the end of the specialty water space. And, you know, there you can't really create more room than there is. And, um, you know, so we're looking at, you know, do they move the three facings of the one liter margarita mix <laughs> uh, that they've carried forever. And, you know, the buyer has always bought it to put fever tree on, you know, that like that's been the thing that I'm running into is like, okay, if we have a set and maybe it's three or four items, how do we get five or six items instead? You know? And yeah. sometimes it's hard, the idea of like displacing something else, um, you know? So we're, we're trying to find ways where, you know, if we have, let's say we have three facings of tonic and three facings of ginger beer, maybe we take two facings of tonic and ginger beer and then two facings of the new one, Yeah. you know, and trying to find ways to like be interesting in that way. Or also, you know, like I said, trying to put fever tree in other places where the con same consumer would be looking. So having a full cocktail solution in the grocery section um, where it's fever tree and citrus and fresh herbs, you know, on a rack that's, you know, an end cap or next to something and having that provided near the cheese case for sure. Yep. Um, I'm going to be doing some cheese and fever tree demos across the New York city area for the holidays this year. So if they're successful, look in your local grocery store in months to come. Um, Cause I think that'll be super fun. And, uh, and yeah, also offering like different kinds of POS materials, like butcher blocks or mini fridges or racks and things like that. that can go, you know, on end caps at the end of the aisle, somewhere else in the store to kind of also be disruptive. You know, I feel like consumers want to be surprised. 
They want to, they want to have the knowing of where their everyday items are, but they also, I, you know, I'm the impulse buyer at the end of my shop where I'm in, you know, walking towards the register and I'm like, oh, am I going to buy these chocolate covered peanut butter filled pretzels? Yes, I am. <laughs> Do I need them? Of course not. Right. I, I, I feel you on that one. I'm also like the person like searching for the treasure in the in the specialty store or Absolutely. something new or Absolutely. random that can be better than what I have. Yeah. Um, I have one very important question for you. Um, <laughs> oh, no, I'm nervous. <laughs> well, I was going to. What is your favorite gin and tonic recipe? I want because I, oh, I'm a huge fan of G&T. Do you have a favorite? It's or? literally like picking your favorite child. Right? Uh-huh. Like that is rough. Um, but I will say that by far, hands down, my favorite gin is the Bar Hill gin from Vermont. It's absolutely ridiculous. They make it with honey. Um, it's so delightful. It's slightly yellow, right? Yep. It's okay. a little more yellow yeah. and it has like the wax top on it. And I mean, certainly being from Pennsylvania, you cannot find it everywhere. So like also when I see it, I'm the person that's like buying multiple bottles. Um, but it's always on our bar at home and I really love it. And I like to take that gin specifically over like relatively large ice cubes in a Copa glass or like a bigger wine glass. And then I put our Mediterranean tonic on top of it. Um, so the Mediterranean tonic is awesome. Um, I actually have some for you to take home. I, I can't wait to try it. Okay. It's so good. It's a blue label and it's made actually with lemon thyme and rosemary um, from the south of France. And so it has like a really nice kind of well-rounded, like earthy, but still a little sweet flavor profile for a tonic. And I think specifically with the Bar Hill Gin, it plays so well together. Um, and then, you know, honestly, like we have a garden now. So, you know, herbs that are growing well in the garden are nice. Like I've definitely put a basil leaf on top and it was fun. I've put thyme in it, of course, because that's like the natural pairing. That's really delightful. Um, and I typically don't put citrus in that one, um, which is one of the few beverages that I have where I don't put a squeeze of citrus, but I feel like it really just doesn't need it. They, yeah. they just marry really well. That's okay. I, I love, I love that. I can't wait to try it. Yeah. To all you Vermonters out there, you should definitely make that. Um, <laughs> that's freaking cool, man. I mean, I didn't even know about the Mediterranean one. The Mediterranean tonic is so rad. I, that was actually one of the first tonics that I had had, um, when I started like playing around with the line, even before working there. Um, cause again, like I said, it's always kind of been something in our house that we would play around with and we'd keep on the bar. So we almost always had the refreshingly light tonic and the club soda. Cause it's, you know, they go for everybody. Everyone's happy. Yeah. But then obviously the elderflower really struck my fancy. And then the Mediterranean tonic was just like, wow. Yeah. Mind, mind blowing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You mentioned ice before and I'm, how big a role does ice play in your drink making? Yeah, definitely. So I don't keep any of my spirits cold at my house. Like I'm not the person with like the gin bottle in the freezer. No, nothing against that by all means. I, like, I do am, you? folks, I am. I have bottles in the um, freezer. <laughs> mostly it's because my freezer is just too full of other things for me to like prioritize that space, right? So We, Chef Sam, we. <laughs> I am the freezer meal queen. Um, also, the amount of bone broth in my freezer is outrageous. I... I'm a huge bone broth person and consume it almost every day for breakfast. It's delightful. Um, Interesting. So, Interesting. yeah, when you're at Costco buying your fever tree on sale, you can also get a rotisserie chicken and make bone broth from the bones. Oh, I did buy a rotisserie chicken. <laughs> I'm in luck. Okay, good. It's going to happen. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, so the ice is a really big part because I 
I also don't keep a lot of my favorite trees in the fridge either. Um, I keep them like I really I like building out like the aesthetic of our bar in our living room. Um, and so, you know, I keep some favorite trees right next to the spirits. So um, the ice is a huge role because I also don't want to drink that beverage warm. But I use larger ice cubes, like not quite like whiskey size, big rock cubes, but like a larger cube so that it melts slower. Um, and it really works like I put a good amount in so that it cools it immediately and then melts slower over time as opposed to like small cubes, which would sort of become the watery beverage quickly. Right. And like you put a good amount. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, just like when you're like working in a kitchen and you want to cool something off quickly and you put it in an ice bath, the more ice that's in the ice bath, you know, the better it is because soon you're just going to have a big bin filled with water and then the hot thing still sitting on top of it in a bus tub, right? So, um, you know, it's the same ideology. You put a bunch of ice in there and then the warm thing that you're putting on top of it gets cold immediately and you still have a good amount of ice, you know, as you're consuming that beverage. Yeah, that, um, I like that technical response about it because it's, it's <laughs> accurate and true. It was the nerdiest moment I had on this show and I'm feeling pretty good about it. You should feel pumped. Um... <laughs> Well, thank you for being a curd nerd. Thank you for being <laughs> Samantha Kane at Fever Tree USA. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh my gosh. Thanks for having me. Thank, this was so fun. Thank you for being here in person with me all the way in Brooklyn and Bushwick. Absolutely. At Roberta's for real, real. <laughs> um, all right. I'm going to just give a quick shout out now for the end of this episode. Uh, please follow Samantha on Instagram at curd creations and please follow Fever Tree at Fever Tree USA, Fever Tree underscore USA. And you can follow us at Cutting the Curd or myself at Kara Warren. And please listen and subscribe to Cutting the Curd via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks. And eat more cheese. And drink more tonic. And drink more fever tree. <laughs> Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.